Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning and welcome to Silverdale. Hey, if I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Maddie and I get the privilege, the opportunity to serve on a pretty incredible team here on our Bonnie Oaks campus. And if you're a guest with us this morning, if maybe this is your first time on our campus or maybe this morning you're joining us online for the very first time, I want to take an opportunity just to welcome you to Silverdale. We're so grateful, we're thankful that you've chosen to worship with us this weekend and make us a part of your family for the weekend. What we'd, I'd encourage, what we'd love to do is just an opportunity to have an opportunity to connect with you. So for those of you in the room, hopefully you've got a worship guide right there in the front of it. At the top, there's a QR code. You can open up your camera app and hover it over that QR code. It'll take you to a connect card. Those of you that are watching us online, you can find that at silverdalebc.com connect. And if you would just plug in some information, what one of our team will do this week is reach out to space with you and just see how how do we serve you in the season of life that you find yourself in? Hey, listen, you are here at a great time. We are wrapping up, beginning to wrap up a series that we've called Mixtape, where we've walked through several Psalms over the last six to eight weeks or so and looked at the season of life that they were written in and for and how those things give us a song to sing in the season of life that we find ourselves in right now. Now, I don't know about you, but here's what I find so often when I sit in your seat. And I hear our pastor stand here and he preaches the word of God. So often as I hear about the men and women that he's talking about, as I learn the stories that he's telling, I sit in my seat and I think, yeah, that's all good and well. But those guys are super Christians, right? Like, I mean, for thousands of years, God has used them, their lives, their stories to influence people towards himself, right? And I get it. See, I know that they're messy and they've got messy backgrounds and they made mistakes and all of those things but God is still using them to do incredible things. And I sit in my seat and I think there's no way God could do something like that through a guy like me. Like, I'm too messed up. And then I actually take time to read my Bible. And then I take time to, to sit and read and study and learn and, and get a glimpse beneath the popular Bible story, if you would. Right? And I learned that not only did David slay a giant, but he also had an affair and committed murder. And I begin to realize that these guys are a whole lot more like me than I ever first thought. And I think as we've worked our way through some of these Psalms, right, we've seen that oftentimes prayer and Bible study is not the first response when it feels like the wheels are falling off. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to a guy like that. And that's what we're going to see in Psalm 55. We're going we're gonna to read through Psalm 55 and we're going to see that King David who wrote this psalm is a whole lot more like us than maybe anyone would care to admit. That we are a whole lot more like him maybe than we'd care to admit. 
See, all of us at some point have experienced pressure. Right? As early as being a toddler, we experience pressure. And it can begin with the pressure of, of maybe not wanting another toddler to take your toy or you want to take somebody else's toy or they ate your veggie store or goldfish or whatever it is, right? But there's this, this little bit of pressure as they take something from you. And then maybe as you get into middle school and high school and continue to grow, right, it's the pressure to make the team or make the band or to fit in and be popular, to have good grades. And then you get on into college and there's pressure of where are you going to go to college? What are you going to study at college? when you get there. And then for you females, you're going to have a ring by spring or not, right? There's this pressure as we find ourselves in college. And as you, even as you get out of college, what company, what career path, what job? Are you going to take a gap year and travel the world? Are you going to get married right away? And then just add that to life to that. Sickness, broken relationships, tornadoes, COVID, you fill in the blank. We've all experienced pressure. Pressure is something that we all deal with. It can come in varying forms, varying degrees, but whether or not we will experience pressure is not the question that we're asking. The question we're asking this morning is more important. It's what do we do when we experience pressure? What will we say? How will we act when the pressure's on? As we read through Psalm 55, we get to take a look behind the curtain of King David's life. You see, there's, there's context to Psalm 55. There was a situation that prompted David to write this psalm. You see, David finds himself in what is arguably the most pressurized situation that he's been in. He is in a mess, right? Just a couple of weeks ago, our pastor told us through Psalm 51, which was David's confession after he was caught, after he had a, an affair with Bathsheba and then killed her husband, Uriah. Now, I'd argue that in Psalm 55, David finds himself in even more of a mess than he did even in that moment. So if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write this down. It's a situation. The situation. So if you were to go back in your Bible, right, and read through 2 Samuel, what you'd see is that David is flourishing as a king. However, as we read and learn about his life and his story, you'll quickly piece together that while he may have been a great king, he was a pretty awful dad. And that's a lesson in and of itself, right? That success at work should never come at the price of success in your home. But another story, another day. In one instance, David's daughter Tamar is sexually assaulted by one of his sons, Amnon, and David doesn't do anything about it. Like David just kind of lets it ride out. Now his other son, Absalom, he's furious. Right? And in his sin, in his pride, he decides, I know better than my own dad, and he kills his brother, Amnon. And in the midst of all of that, he figures out, you know what, I could be a better king than my dad, and he organizes a coup. So Absalom begins to build this following for himself. He throws King David under the bus. He begins to tell people that essentially, David doesn't care about you. And if I was in charge, I would do things a whole lot different. Look at this. It's in 2 Samuel 15, verses 4 through 6. It says this. Then Absalom would say, as people came to Jerusalem, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Essentially, I'd make everybody happy. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he'd put out his hand, he'd take hold of him, and he would kiss him. Then Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So time passes. Absalom manipulates David and one of David's key confidants, Ahithophel. He hitches his wagon to Absalom, and before David has any idea of what's going on, 
Absalom's declared king by the people of Jerusalem, and he's riding back, not only to dethrone David, but to kill him. Listen, it's one thing for you to be found out to be having an affair. It's another thing entirely to find out that your son is on his way to kill you. So David gathers together the remnants of his people. He gathers his servants, and they take off, and they flee Jerusalem. And as he flees Jerusalem, he ascends the Mount of Olives. He's weeping, he's grieving, he's broken. He's a broken king and a desperate dad. And many scholars believe that Psalm 55 is the content of his prayer as he ascends the Mount of Olives. That when the pressure's on, when David was squeezed, what spewed out of him was Psalm 55. Listen, I don't believe for any second that this is some well-thought-out song or poem. This is one of those moments where if we were to put ourselves in David's shoes, we'd have to honestly say, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would say. I don't know how I would act. I don't know what would come out of me. And what I want for us to do this morning is to identify a couple of feelings or emotions that when the pressure's on, when the squeeze is on our lives, that these four emotions or feelings are often what will come out of us. And I want us to look at the way King David responds and highlight three things that we can do to give us a proper perspective on pressure. So here's the first thing I want you to write down. It's the feelings of pressure. And here's the first one. It's frustration. Frustration. As we navigate David's prayer, we're going to see these four emotions or feelings that it brings out of him. And the first one is frustration. Look at verses one and two. It says this. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint. David's frustrated. He says he's restless in his complaint. Have you ever been so overwhelmed, so shocked by something that all you can do is talk? Like you've sat in a doctor's office and you've heard that news, you've heard that C word or whatever it may be. And the next thing out of your mouth is like, what do you mean he's sick? How sick? How long has he been sick? When is he going to get better? He's going to live, right? And all these questions just spew out of you. And you're looking at your spouse or your mom or your dad or whoever and saying, hey, it's going to be okay. We'll figure this out. We're going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. And then you get home and when you lay in bed, the only thing you can do at night is think about this thing. And you're tossing and turning and you wake up more tired than you were when you went to sleep. That's that frustration, and that's where David finds himself. How did he not know? How could he have missed this? How did it happen? I can well imagine, right? David climbs into his big old four-poster bed at night, and there is no rest. It's just tossing and turning. And that frustration keeps him up. How did I miss it? How did I not know? Ahithophel, really? My friend? My son? One of the first emotions that pressure will bring out of us is frustration. The second thing that we see, it's more of a feeling and less of an emotion, but it's isolation. We want to isolate. We want to, want to flee into isolation. And David's frustration moves him from a place where he's just frustrated to now he's saying, I want to get out of here. I want to isolate. I want to be alone. I want to get away from everyone and everything. Look at verses 6 to 8. They say this. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I'd fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I'd lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. David wants to get out of Dodge. You ever been there? Where it feels like your world is falling apart and all you want to do is just take off and go be somewhere else if only for a moment. He's gone from being frustrated to saying, I just want to get out of here. I want to be gone. I want to reset. I want to do over. I want to escape from this mess. 
And when the pressure was on, David wanted to run. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. He's fleeing Jerusalem. He's fleeing the only, the only place that, that he knows, the place that's home, the place that is a reminder of who God was and is in his life. He's got people following him who are looking at him for answers, and he doesn't have any. And it's only a matter of time before Absalom catches up to him, kills him, and he's climbing this mountain. And I can just imagine he hits his knees and he cries out to God and he says, oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I could just get away. And as I was working my way through this psalm, I realized that often when I find myself in a place of pressure, when it feels like the wheels are falling off, this is the place that I want to live. This is the place I want to get to. I want to escape. I want to isolate. I want to run away. I told you guys before that when my oldest son was born, he spent about 10 days in the NICU. And I can remember in the midst of that, having to leave the hospital to go run an errand. I think I was either picking up medicine or food or something. And I leave the room, right? And where we were, I'd I'd leave my wife in the bed who's just had the surgery and I'd walk out and as I'm making my way out, I pass the NICU door where my son is and he's got all these tubes and I get out of the door, down the elevator, out of the hospital, I get into my car, I close the door, I sit in my seat and it was a visible and audible. Like if only for those few moments that I was outside of the hospital, I was able to act like it, it wasn't happening. I was able to isolate myself in that situation. I walk into the, the restaurant. It was actually a Big River Grill. I mean, I remember it that clearly. I walk in, and I'm picking up food. And the lady says to me, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. How are you? I was able to isolate for just a few moments and act as if my world wasn't falling apart. I ask as if that pressure was not on in my life. And this is what so many of us do in our relationships, whether it be your marriage, with your parents, siblings, at work. You name the relationship, right? Something causes there to be pressure and we wanna run from it. Some of us do that by going to a bar. Others of us do it with sports. Some of us do it by going shopping. Listen, let's, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes here, but let's be honest, many of us men in the room, we do it by hunting and fishing and anything we can do to get out of Dodge because I don't want to be in the midst of this situation. And this is where David finds himself. He wants to isolate. But as you and I know, at some point, reality will catch back up to you. And there are two more feelings that we'll feel. And the third is this, it's anger. It's anger. This is where it starts to get really, really dangerous for us. Because when we realize that we can't just escape from reality, when that situation that's causing us to feel pressure isn't going away, we find that anger begins to build up on us, right? When the bills just keep coming, when it feels like every time you walk in the door of your home, there's an argument and a fight to be had, when your boss doesn't seem to let up in any way, that pressure builds and we find ourselves getting angry. And like I mentioned, Preston's in the NICU. We're two or three days in, right? And it seems like at every turn, he's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And every time I talk to this sweet nurse, she's telling me something bad for the first two or three days. And I find myself, I think I was on my way to go feed Preston. We're two or three days in, like I said, the pressure seems to be intensifying at this point. Just walked out of the room. I'm going to go feed and give him a bottle, and this nurse is now walking towards me. And she says, hey, Maddie, I need to tell you something. And at this point, I've had enough. 
I've had enough. I've had more than I can take at this point. And I look at this lady and I say, hey, I don't care what you have to say right now. I don't need you to say anything else to me until you've got something good to tell me. Do you understand? Awesome. I'm going to go feed my son. And at that point, I was just so angry that what spewed out of me was this hateful, hurtful, unkind comment to this nurse who was just simply trying to do her job. You ever been there before? Where life is so pressurized, you find yourself just blowing up. And maybe it's blowing up at somebody you love. Maybe it's the guy or girl at Starbucks because they put full fat instead of half fat. but we find ourselves in this place where we're angry. And what I love about scripture, what I love about the Psalms is the raw emotion that is displayed for all of us to see. Because as I think back on that situation, as I read Psalm 55, I realize that I'm just like King David. Look at verse nine. David says this to God. He says, destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, right? See violence and strife in the city. He's asking God to destroy them. And then verse 15, he says this, let death steal over them, right? Let them all die. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is their dwelling place and in their heart. Don't miss this. David is literally asking God to send his son to hell alive. He's angry. So angry. He knows exactly what hell is. He knows what that's going to look like. He knows how that's going to play out. And he's not asking for grace for his son. He's not asking for forgiveness for his son. He is asking God to send his son to hell alive. He's angry. And here's the next emotion that we see. It's hurt. Hurt. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. David says, but it's you, a man who's my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house as we walked in the throng. As if his son coming to dethrone him and kill him wasn't enough, David is hurt and torn up because of the betrayal of his closest friend. They worked together, they served together, they did life together, and he turned his back on David and hitched his wagon to what he thinks is going to be the next best think. And David's in this place of pressure, a place of breakdown. His son has come on to kill him. His most trusted friend has betrayed him. He's left his home, the city that he loved so much. What God had given him was behind him. He's got a flea. He's got people desperately looking at him for guidance. And he's at a place of defeat. And he begins to climb the Mount of Olives. Now, what many scholars believe is that verses 1 through 15 and 16 through 23 are actually two different psalms because we're about to see a complete shift in the way David communicates. We're about to see a complete shift in what he's talking about. But I would tend to agree with the other school of thought that it is actually one complete psalm and that in the midst of David's hurt and his brokenness, there's this long pause. And it's in that pause It's in those few still moments when the chaos around him seems to subside for just long enough that he's able to hear the voice of God. See, and I believe that because that was my situation. I remember it like it was just yesterday. We had just given Preston a bottle in the NICU. We've laid him down in his bed and 
he's got this mask on his face, he's got tubes all over his body. And I gingerly walk back to the room with my wife. We get her in the bed, we get her some medicine, and she begins to take a nap. And I think in these few moments, I'm gonna lay down on this couch. It's not really a couch, it's like this torture device for old dads as if <laughs> it wasn't enough that you're a new dad, now you gotta sleep on this thing. So I lay down, I've got my blankets, you know, I'm sticking to this thing. Uh, and like, I'm gonna put these earphones in, I'm just gonna listen to some music until she needs me again. And I plug these earphones in and this song plays on my Spotify account that I've never heard before. And it was in that moment that God used these lyrics to speak to my heart as this song played in my ears and it says this. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever. You're perfect in love. And you're sovereign over us. And in that long pause, God stepped into my life. And he said, Maddie, I'm right here with you. And I gotta believe in the midst of David's brokenness, there's this pause. And I don't know what God said to him. He doesn't tell us what God said. But I gotta believe in the midst of that that God looks at David and he says, David, remember when you were a shepherd? It was me that called you to be a king. Hey David, remember when you stood across from Goliath? It was me that did that for you. It was me that fought that battle for you. Remember when you had an affair with Bathsheba and then you killed Uriah? It was me that sent the prophet to you to bring you back to repentance and David. You don't have to fear Absalom because it's me that is with you even now. He reminded David of who he was. And there are three things that we learn from David that in the midst of that pressure, if we give God just long enough to speak to us, there are three things that we can do that will help give us the right perspective on the pressure in our lives. And here's the first one. It's the call out to God. David calls out, he cries out to God. When the pressure becomes unbearable, when David hits rock bottom, he cries out to God. Look at verses 16 and 17, he says this, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and I moan and he hears my voice. David calls out to God because he knows that God will hear him. And not only does God hear him, it's God who knows what to do. It's God who has the solution. It's God who knows what's next. Right? While David's situation may seem so complex, he doesn't know what his next step is. God does know. Look how Paul would say it when he wrote to the Roman church. He says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. David understood that truth that Paul writes to the church. That God is the answer. God knows the way. God is the solution. As, G as cliche as this sounds, Jesus is the answer. And David's calling out to God. See, and even when we call out to God, right, what does that do for us in our lives? Well, listen, if you're anything like me, when it feels like the wheels are falling off, I want to hold on tighter. And I'm going to fix the situation, I'm going to take control, and I'm going to manage it, and I'm going to navigate it, and we're going to come out of it on the other side, and it's going to be good, and I'm going to make it happen. 
See, but when we start to cry out to God, it's less time for me to take control. When I begin to cry out to God, it's one less moment in my life that I'm saying I can do this. And it, 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 it grows in me a faith. It grows in me a dependence on God. We've got to call out to God. And listen, here, here's what I want you to know. It doesn't matter that you don't know what to say. Listen, I realize that sometimes when the pressure's on and we're praying and, and again, if you're like me, you're trying to think of all the right words to say and the right things to call God and so on and so forth. It doesn't matter. Here's what I know in my life to be true. When my kids are hurt, especially my two-year-old little boy Parker right now, and he needs daddy, I have no idea the words coming out of his mouth. He's just got his hands up and I'm just going to pick him up and I'm just going to hold him. And I got to believe that that's the way God sees us too. It doesn't matter what we say. He just wants to scoop us up and he's going to hold us. Here's the second thing that we see. We've got to trust in God's salvation. Look at verse 16. It says this, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. We've got to trust God to save. And I don't think that David is saying that, that we just have to trust God to save us from the situation that we find ourselves in. Because we've already seen in the Psalms, right, that sometimes God doesn't save us from a situation. Sometimes it's in or through the situation that God may save us. But I think what David is alluding here is, is that we've got to trust in the salvation of God. We've got to trust in the saving power of God that for us as Christ followers, that we understand that God can, does, and will, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, save us from our sins. So maybe you sit in your seat this morning and you say, Manny, that's all wonderful and good. But how does God's salvation help me right now when we're trying to navigate my husband's cancer? How does God's salvation help me right now when my wife just told me she's having an affair and she's leaving me? How does the salvation of God help me in this moment? Because when we understand the truth of salvation, when we understand the gospel, when we believe in those truths, when we trust God to save us, we can lean on truths like this. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says this, for our light and momentary trouble, so in our language, the pressures that we face are working or achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on the pressure, not on the situation, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When we understand the gospel, we can trust in God's plan even if we don't know what it is. That God is at work in our lives no matter what it may look like. That for the follower of Jesus, God is using the pressures of our lives to make us look more like him. Last thing we learn is this, that we've got to trust in his sustaining power. Trust in God's sustaining power. Look at verse 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he'll sustain you. He'll never permit the righteous to be moved. And this is for me, arguably the most difficult part of this. To trust that God will provide everything that I need to get through today. Like I don't have to necessarily worry about tomorrow. David's not thinking about his next five or 10 years as king. David is thinking about the right now. How do I get through today? Where's the food for all these people gonna come from? Where are we gonna sleep? How do I make sure we, we stay hidden? He's thinking through his right now. He just needs God to help him take a next step. See, when we face pressure, when we find ourselves feeling the effects of pressure, what we need is to trust that God will sustain us through today, that God will meet our every 
need today. And again, like I mentioned, that's so hard for me because I'm a fixer. Like I want to I wanna control things. Like I want to control everything from the, the thermostat in my home. And every fellow looked at his wife and said, amen to that, brother. <laughs> so I want to control the next 15 years of my life and know where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing and when I'm going to be doing it. But what I learned when I read Psalm 55 is that I may not have all those answers, but I can trust that God will provide everything that I need today. So maybe you're here this morning and the effects of the pressure, the feelings of pressure are so evident in your life. Maybe just this morning you blew up on a kid, a spouse, mom or dad. Maybe you're sitting in this seat even now thinking, I wish I wasn't here. If I could just be somewhere else and pretend like it wasn't happening. My encouragement to you this morning as we're about to sing another song is this morning, in these few moments, will you begin to call out to God? Will you tell him what you need? Will you share the situation that you find yourself in with him? He already knows. And he wants to meet you in it right now. So here's what I'm going to do for us. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing. You respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us, God. God, that you would sustain us. That you meet our every need. That there is nothing for the Christ follower that we experience, that we experience alone. Everything we walk through, we walk through it with you. So God, to the man or woman in the room, even now, who is about to call out to you, maybe even for the very first time, God, would you hear their prayer? And would you answer them the way that you say that you would? Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.